Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. For time's sake this morning, I'm just going to read the first few verses of this text, and then we'll get to the rest of it throughout the message. But Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am done, because I am a man of unclean lips." And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. To speak on the subject, it is time to serve the Lord. We live in difficult times. I think you would agree with that. Confusing days, dangerous days, however you might describe them. But I believe it's important for us as God's children in these days to be submitted to the Lord and committed to serving Him. So the question comes up, how can a Christian know if he or she is submitted to God and serving the Lord? Isaiah here in this passage shows us a clear picture of just such a person. The opening words of this chapter, in the year that King Uzziah died, are very important to our understanding of the background of this text. The year King Uzziah died, around 740 BC, was a turning point in the life of Isaiah and in the history of Israel. It represented the end of a long and prosperous reign, some 52 years, including military successes, impressive building operations, and agricultural advances, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We note also the beginning of the Assyrian threat, which would long hang over Israel and Judah for the rest of the century. This also represented a time which the Lord of hosts would use the Assyrians to punish them for their idolatry. And then last, this is a stark contrast between the holiness of God and the wickedness of men. In fact, Uzziah the king spent the last years of his reign as a leper for violating the office of the priesthood in the temple. And that's also seen in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. The historical change that was taking place in this particular time frame was significant. These were dark days, and God's people were in desperate need of a prophet who would stand and uh, declare to them the word of the living God. Unfortunately, for these people, even though they needed to hear from God, they didn't really want to. To this end, Isaiah was being called. He was a minister to a nation that was declining and marching rapidly toward ruin. Does that not remind us of what we see taking place in our country today? King Uzziah has died and the throne of Judah is empty. Like David of old, who encouraged himself in the Lord, Isaiah turned to God for help and comfort. And in that hour of seeming defeat, he experienced a great spiritual blessing. He saw the throne of heaven. 
And he saw that throne was still occupied by the Lord God of glory. And we're going to look this morning at the threefold vision that God gave Isaiah, having to do with the upward look, an inward look, and an outward look. Notice with me verses 1 through 4. Isaiah saw the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, and so on. For young Isaiah, the outlook was bleak. He, his beloved king was dead. His nation was in peril, and he could do little about it. But Isaiah had a vision of the Lord that changed his life. Though the outlook around him was dark, the uplook was glorious. God was still on the throne and reigning as the sovereign of the universe. And heaven's point of view is very different than our own. As Isaiah looked to the Lord, God encouraged him because Isaiah had an opportunity to see the Lord in his glory. Now, as he looked upon the Lord, this is not Solomon's temple in all its splendor and beauty. No, this was the very throne room of God that Isaiah was given a glimpse into. And he saw the Lord of glory sitting upon his throne. His experience was very much like a number of others throughout Scripture. For example, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, such an one caught up into the third heaven. And I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Then the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, as recorded in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, said, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot. How about the prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 1, verse 26, And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And then verse 28, And the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the rain, in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard the voice of one that spake. And then what about Daniel? Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. I beheld it to the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels are burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth out from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Yes, we see God has chosen to reveal a little bit of his splendor to certain chosen individuals throughout Scripture. And Isaiah was one of those persons that had this great privilege bestowed upon him. Not only did he see the Lord, but he saw the manner in which God is worshipped. Notice it says in verse 2, Above it stood the seraphims. Here and only here are the seraphims mentioned in Scripture. The Hebrew word seraphim means to burn and refers to the holiness of God. We believe there are a multitude of angels 
These are the angels that are designated to minister to God, to call attention to the glory of God. They have the privilege and the responsibility of hovering around the throne of God. And Isaiah had a chance to see them. And notice two things about them. The seraphims praised God for his purity. Verse 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. And in calling to one another, the angels whose number is not given were proclaiming the glory of God and His holiness. God is set apart. He is separated. He is distinct. And He is altogether perfect. And we can thank the Lord today. We serve a perfect, just, pure, holy God. And Isaiah had a chance to peek into the portals of glory and see God sitting upon His throne. And the fact that the angels were worshiping Him for His purity. But not only that, they praised him for his presence. Notice again in verse 3, the last phrase, the whole earth is full of his glory. Yes, the God whom we serve, the God of heaven, is not only all-powerful and all-knowing, but he is everywhere present. Aren't you glad to know that he knows all about us because he stands with us, he walks with us, he goes with us wherever we go. There's not a place on this planet where you can go to escape the presence of the Lord. There's not a secret place in your home. There's not a location in your community. There's not a cave so deep or a mountaintop so high to where we could flee and get away from the presence of the Lord. Thank God that He is everywhere and He has promised that He will never leave us nor forsake us. What a wonderful God it is whom we serve who is everywhere we go. And beloved, that is an assurance to us that we are never without Him. He is always always there by our side. Though the whole earth is in disorder and mankind is hopelessly undone, God is ever present in His glory. And beloved, He is known to all men. Many disagree with that statement. Psalm 19 verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. All you have to do is look up at night Look into the starry sky and see the handiwork of God. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Romans 1.19 Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse. All mankind has to do is look around and see the splendor, the beauty of God's creation. Examining animal life, plant life, examining the human body, we can see God's handiwork and how he put together everything in a perfect manner so that each body, each creature, each living being could exist. I strongly reject the idea of evolution. The concept of the survival of the fittest goes against the very argument it seeks to lay. Because how could something develop into an advanced being if it continued to fail, its progression. 
How is it going to develop? How is it going to progress? How does evolution actually work? As you look around and consider creation, the fact that we have design shows there is a designer. The fact that we see things have come into being means that something caused that to happen. Now, what you believe that something is, you know, some people accept the idea of a Big Bang Theory. Others follow evolution. Others follow different ideas or processes or uh, ideologies. I believe the book of Genesis is quite clear in saying God created the world and all that is in therein, and he did so in six days and stepped back and looked over it all and said, it is good. No need to involve into something that's good. God already started with that which is good right from the get-go. God has demonstrated his existence in creation, but he's done so in other ways as well. However, in this passage and in this text, as Isaiah turns to the Lord and seeks encouragement, God does so by revealing himself. And even though the great King Uzziah had left the throne on earth, the greatest king, the king of kings, the Lord of glory, was still seated on the throne in heaven. And just as Isaiah's world was crumbling around him, when ours seems to do so, we simply need to look to the Lord and recognize he is still in control. God is still on the throne. He's not dead. He's not forsaken us. He's not stepped aside and showing no concern. No, God is ever present and is always aware of what's going on around us. When we find ourselves discouraged and defeated, look to the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Psalm 46 verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth, the Lord hath declared. Anyone who truly desires to serve the Lord must have a clear vision, a clear understanding of the Lord if they hope to be effective in walking with Him and serving Him. This is true of all genuine believers, no matter what our given area of service may be. We have to see the Lord high and lifted up. If we want to serve God, we have to recognize He is an altogether pure and holy God and demands such of his saints. We have to see that Jesus Christ is that God of heaven. Yes, we believe in the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God manifest in three persons. And here we recognize Jesus Christ is the God of heaven. Philippians 2 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Revelation chapter 5 refers to him saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Yes, like Isaiah, we need a clear vision of the Lord. Recognizing, looking upward, we see a holy, just, divine 
righteous God. And it is because of that our songbook is filled with so many hymns of praise. Songs like, All hail the power of Jesus' name, or Be thou exalted, blessed be the name, glory to his name, his name is wonderful, how great thou art, worship the king, praise him, praise him, or to God be the glory. Yes, for us as God's children, if we want to be effective in serving the Lord, we need to see the Lord as he is, high and lifted up. Notice also in verses 5 through 7, Isaiah not only took an upward look, but he took an inward look, and he saw himself. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, he begins as he looks at himself with a word of confession. The vision of God's majesty, God's holiness, and God's glory made Isaiah realize he was a sinner and he confessed such to God. That is the lot of every person who truly desires to serve the Lord. We must recognize he is perfect and we are not. The Bible has declared all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person born into this world is under the curse of Adam's fallen race. Has nothing to do with the color of our skin. Has nothing to do with our nationality, our language, our culture, our socioeconomic status. It has nothing to do with all of those things that people try to make to be of such great importance in life. It has to do with whether or not you have seen yourself lost and on your way to hell and received Jesus Christ as your Savior. That comes as a result of recognizing we are sinners in need of a Savior. Isaiah saw that. Seeing God in His perfection, he recognized how sinful He was. That's when he wrote, or excuse me, he wrote later in Isaiah 64, verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and all our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Oh, don't allow your pride to keep you from trusting in Christ. Don't allow your pride to deceive you into thinking self-righteousness is good enough. Oh, when you stand before the Lord and see Him in His glory, you're going to recognize we are nothing in comparison to the Lord. Luke chapter 5 verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. In Luke 18, 13, Jesus told of the publican, who standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Service for the Lord begins with recognizing we are sinners in need of a Savior. And once that knowledge takes root in our heart and we receive Christ as our Savior, then we can move on to serving Him. But the confession, the confession led to cleansing. Notice verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. This act symbolized God's atonement for sin, 
and the cleansing of Isaiah. Salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ plus nothing and minus nothing. We come to Christ as humble sinners in need of a Savior. And when we confess our sin before the Lord, when we we acknowledge our need for Him and receive Him, then the cleansing takes place. And what a joy it is to know when we receive Him as our Savior, He certainly does accept all who come unto Him. 2 Chronicles 7.14, we have the record of God saying, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Psalm 51, the great repentant cry of David when he said, Wash me throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Yes, our sin is directed toward a holy God. That's why Christ had to die. Someone may say, Well, I don't believe in accepting Christ as my Savior. I don't believe in all of that. The question might be posed to them, what will you do about your sin? How will you obtain forgiveness of sin? That is only available through Jesus Christ. For he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. All when that cleansing takes place, can cry out like David in Psalm 51 verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. You want to serve the Lord? We have to have a realistic understanding and view of God. We have to have a realistic and understanding view of ourselves. For unclean lips are the product of an unclean heart, and we must be clean if we wish to serve the Lord. Once we get to that point, Then like Isaiah, we can actually take an outward look as we see in verses 8 through 13. You see, in the upward look, he saw God. In the inward look, he saw himself. Now in this outward look, he sees others. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Everything to this point in this chapter was preparation for Isaiah. Now God can call Isaiah and use him to proclaim his word. The prophet was no longer wrapped up in himself. But we see he wants to do the will of God. He's no longer burdened by sin because he's been cleansed. He's no longer discouraged as a result of their circumstances because he knows God is still on the throne. Now he's ready to go to work. Now he's ready to serve. True worship leads to effective service. And that's where Isaiah finally finds himself at a point. Willing to serve God, ready to serve God because he recognizes who God is and what God wants done. 
No one hears God's call and responds and obeys without first seeing him as he is and seeing ourselves as we are and then getting past that and looking to others. Verses 9 and 10 don't describe the goal of his ministry. They describe the result of his ministry. Let me read them again. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and convert, and be healed. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. It sounds as though God doesn't want people to respond. It sounds as though God is sending Isaiah to speak for no purpose. It would almost be like me standing up and saying, I don't want you to pay attention to a word I'm saying today. I don't care what you do, just don't listen. That's really not what's being said here. Again, this is the result of his ministry. In fact, these verses are quoted six times in the New Testament to further explain Israel's rejection of the Messiah. Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, Luke 8, John 12, Acts 28, and Romans 11, 8. All point back to this passage of Scripture and all emphasize the idea that Israel rejected Jesus Christ as her Messiah. The people of God, the chosen people of God, the Jews, chose not to follow the Lord, chose not to accept Jesus as the Messiah, but rather rejected Him and crucified Him, would not follow. God did not send Isaiah to a receptive people. Or give him an easy message to preach. The first five chapters provide the background for this. They were a people corrupted by greed, arrogance, drunkenness, injustice, oppression, and murder. And these were the folks Isaiah was supposed to preach to. These were the folks Isaiah was supposed to warn of impending destruction. That was not a message they wanted to hear. In fact, it's not a message they listened to or accepted in any matter. Throughout his entire ministry, he faced a people with twisted values, people who called evil good and good evil. Sadly, the society in which we live today is not much unlike what Isaiah faced in those days. Beloved, the multitudes around us have turned away from God. They've rejected Jesus Christ. They've allowed reason and the common sense of Scripture to flee from them, and they chase after foolishness and vain ideology. We live in dark days. But Isaiah was to take the message of God to his people who would hear, but they would not understand. They would listen, but they wouldn't comprehend Their ears and hearts were dulled by self-interest. They didn't want to change their lives. This was the experience of many prophets all the way through to the days of Jesus, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and our Lord himself. Verse 11, Isaiah asked the question, how long? The answer, verse 11, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly destroyed and the Lord have removed men far away. And there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. 
But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten. How long, Lord, must we wait? How long, Lord, before deliverance? How long, Lord, before you spare us from what we see going on around us? God says, as long as it takes for me to accomplish my will and fulfill my task. My, when you think about that, it certainly ought to challenge us today to recognize no matter how difficult the task we find ourselves in, no matter how much opposition we face as Christians in bearing the message of Christ to a lost and dying world, there's no excuse, there's no reason under the sun why we should stop being a voice in the wilderness. Why we should stop being a light in darkness. Why we should cease to be salt. Why we should fail to be a faithful and true witness. God's going to accomplish his task. And he's going to do so according to his plan, his will. We, if we want to serve the Lord, need to recognize that, again, God is in control. And we have the responsibility to do the task assigned to accomplish that which he's given us to do. And until he says, I'm done. It's interesting to know, it says in verse 13, but yet in it shall be a tenth. That's a small remnant. God's going to spare that remnant. Those who will make it through, those who will survive, yet even they would see deep tribulation. Notice verse 9 again. And he said, go and tell this people. All of this other stuff helps us to understand while going, there's going to be opposition. While going, there'll be some things that go against us. While going, will not be well received. But the message is still, go tell this people. God certainly has passed that on to us today in what we refer to as the Great Commission. Jesus said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that repentance and sins should be preached in his name among all nations. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, he has promised that he would be with us. And he said, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That is a quick summary of the Great Commission as it was given by our Lord. Doesn't matter what's going on around us, the political scene, the economic condition of the world, the social landscape, those have nothing to do with the task at hand. What is the task? What is the job? What is the responsibility for a believer who wants to serve God? Go and tell the people. Beloved, I believe it is high time we serve the Lord. We are in the last days. I believe the Lord is coming soon and we need to take the opportunity while it is given to us to preach the gospel to every creature. God certainly could have sent the seraphim to do this, but he didn't. He chose us. He's given us the responsibility. Isaiah, as a result of this vision, this clarification, if you will, was filled with joy and thanksgiving. Therefore, without reservation, Isaiah stuck with the task at hand to do God's will. His immediate surrender reveals a spirit of readiness. 
both a desire and a willingness to serve the Lord. It reveals a spirit of resolve, a determination to go and bear witness despite the circumstances, and a spirit of trust, leaving success and the results up to the Lord himself. Never underestimate what God can do in and through your life. The question is asked, are you one of God's willing volunteers? He is waiting for us to reply, like Isaiah, here am I, send me. Let me close with this illustration. Two missionaries in China were standing by a clogged up sewer, arguing about why they shouldn't have to clean it out. The first missionary said, I've been here longer. I shouldn't have to do this. The other one replied, but I have more education. I didn't spend all my money on schooling to be cleaning out sewers. And while the two of them were arguing, a man walked by them and walked down into the sewer and unclogged it. Took care of the problem. That man was Hudson Taylor. While they were arguing, he simply did the job that needed to be done. You see, we need Christians who, rather than focusing on what they don't have to do, need to focus on what God has commanded us to do. While some would use grace to live life the way they want, we should use grace to live life how God wants us to.